Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 1. I brought my phone up here in case my son calls me to tell me happy Father's Day. So y'all excuse me if it goes off, right? Some of you are going to call it and it's on silent, so just save you the trouble, all right? Luke chapter 1. You know, uh, I started into this last week. If you happen to have gone to last week's early service, uh, you're going to hear some familiar stuff here in the next few minutes. Because I didn't finish in here what I finished there last week. So I preached a different sermon over there this morning and I'm going to finish last week's here because this is really important stuff for us as we begin our study of Luke's gospel. And I started off last week underscoring the reality for us that is this is Luke's story. It is the story of Jesus Christ. Consequently, and you know, I'll be a little bit uh, trite in this in the way that we've adopted it. It is, in fact, the greatest story ever told. But we're caretakers of that. Now, that came home to me um, a while back. Actually, I was uh, serving in another church at another place. And I had a guy come in, and he was probably, by that time, he was probably in his early 70s, I suppose. And uh, I noticed that he had visited a while, and then... Um, I went to visit with him and talk to him a little bit about it, see if he had any questions about the church or anything like that. And here's what he said to me. He said, you know, I used to be a pastor. And uh, that was way back in the 19, late 1950s, early 60s. And, uh, and then I, I joined the service and I was a chaplain for the Air Force for a number of years. Served all over the world and uh, all kinds of service men and women that I ministered to as a gospel and and he said, I, I came to your church because we moved to the area, my wife and I, and, and I started visiting around churches. And I said, and I noticed you've been visiting ours. How'd that go for you? And he said, well, here's the deal. For a guy who knows the gospel and has been a minister of the gospel for a long time, he said, I, I was going to these churches and I, I found myself getting sick to death of gospel slop. Now, I have to tell you, as a pastor, that is a term that assaulted me. Now, part of that is because I wasn't sure exactly what he was saying about me because he had been visiting and listening to my preaching. Uh, for whatever it's worth, he joined our church and he became one of my primary mentors in all of my life as a minister of the gospel. His name is Don. Actually, it's Lieutenant Colonel Don, and he's got a last name I won't take because I don't want you to look him up on the Internet to see if he's a criminal or something like that. But uh, I still talk to him from time to time. And one of the things that happened with him is I spent more and more time with him. I found this to be true. I could make a comment about something. It didn't really matter what, but he always had a story attached to that. Here's a guy who lived all over the world. Spent years and years away from the U.S. mainland, even though he was off serving for our government uh, in the armed services. But he always had a story, and he was tied to some of the greats of Baptist life, W.A. Criswell and some of those guys that, that he had, uh, you know, he'd been a member of that church for a while, and he knew stuff. And I could say something, and he would drop something on me that was a story tied to that, and it kind of got to be a game for me to see if I could just stump him a little bit if there was something I could talk about that he didn't have a story about. I want you to take that picture and I want you to pull it into your life. If somebody were to be inserted into your circle today and they desperately needed to know the good news of Jesus Christ, could you tell them? 
You see, the reality is that this greatest story ever told that we have been told by somebody also now lands in our laps as the caretakers of that and we're responsible for sharing that with somebody else. We are storytellers. I started into this message last week. In Luke chapter 1, the first four verses is where we find ourselves. Last week I covered more or less verse 1 and verse 4. And essentially what I said with all of that was, every story has a beginning. And that's where Luke starts in verse 1. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So where I started last week was, every story has a beginning. And Luke goes back with that, and, and we talked about why should we retell it? If it's this story and everybody knows it, then why do we retell it? Verse 4 answers that. He says to this dignitary named Theophilus, I'm writing it so that you, and then now by extension, centuries later, so that we can be certain of the reality of this story. So every story has a beginning, and that's where he starts off with us. And that holds some importance for us on a personal level. Uh, that means that we can have assurance that it's true. And last week I talked about those doubts that sometimes assault us. But now I want to take another step with it and go to the other part of it. It's not just for us. It's also now for others. And we become the storyteller. So I, I entitled this message Storytelling 101. It's just the basics of telling this story over and over again. But the problem with the basics are, if you don't master the basics, then you don't do well with the advanced stuff. I was having a discussion this morning with one of the men of our church. And we were talking about this, this reality that many times we get locked up on some of the little um, nuances of our faith, of our doctrine, if you will. But if we don't have the basics down... We don't have a chance of getting the nuances right. And the basics all center in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Luke begins this story. It's a two-volume work for Luke. He'll give us the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ, and then he'll give us the book of Acts. And he picks up and he talks about the church that Jesus Christ instituted and left behind as he ascended back to heaven. So every story has a beginning, and that's where we were last week. But now I want to take you to the next one, which is every story has a source. Look at what he says here. I want you to notice that he emphasizes first that this story that he's about to tell has been thoroughly researched by him. That's a significant statement because he's a physician. He's schooled in the ancient world in the science of medicine. Now, we have a tendency to be a little bit uh, prideful about modern advances, and we think that we're significantly smarter than those people who lived back in these times. Uh, we need to be really careful about that. And Luke comes as one of the smart guys of his day, and he says, I'm, I put my mind to this, and I set out to write an orderly account. We're going to come to that in just a second. But he says in this scientific work that he does and the research that he does, all of the tools of his trade that he brings now to this, he says, I went to those people who were eyewitnesses. 
Eyewitnesses have a way of bringing credibility to the story. You notice that in verse 2, just to make sure we're there. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. He says something else about them there, but let's stop here. Have you figured out that ours is a skeptical world? I kind of alluded to this a little bit last week. The people in our world... um, they're not just jumping at the chance to believe something just because somebody says it. I'll give you an example. We had a kid in, in our church that I served before I came here. He started coming to church because one of the girls in, the, in our youth group uh, kind of buddied up with him at school. And they started dating. And uh, so this was one of those times, one of the rare times, where the guy came to church and it actually took... Okay, it takes a long time to establish what I just said. I'm just going to leave it hanging there for now. Uh, and so Matt started coming to church. But here's the deal with Matt. When he walked in, I looked at him and I thought, I would have hung out with you when I was in high school. Okay, That's not a compliment to church kids. All right. And so I started watching him. And he was between the age of my two sons. And so he kind of fit in that deal where I had kids in in and out of my house. And so I thought I could relate to him a little bit. And so I started talking to Matt a little bit and especially started talking to my youth minister who was dealing with Matt all the time. Matt was a self-described agnostic. Now, he might have been an atheist, but I think really better said when he says, I I guess I'm an agnostic. I'm not really sure if I believe in God or not, but uh, I wouldn't say that I just don't believe in God. And so I started watching this kid as a high school junior, I think he was when he first started coming, as he started grappling with the reality of the story of Jesus Christ. And he, I'm telling you, this kid's smart. I mean, he's way smart. And I watched adults try to deal with him, those adults who just had a nice canned speech, and he did surgery on them verbally. He was a thinker. And there were elements of the Christian story that he had a hard time wrapping his mind around. Skeptical, agnostic, atheistic. In our postmodern society, which by the way, one of our key tenets of the society of our day is truth is relative. Which is another way of saying, you can believe what you want. If it's true for you, that's fine for you, but it's not true for me. That's the thinking that's out there. And so this story, as we take it to people like Matt or that postmodern thinker that say to themselves, well, you know, it's okay for you, but I just don't, I I don't need that. How do we answer that situation? How do we come into that with some kind of an answer that speaks into it? And here was the answer. I had a youth minister in that church who just dove into those intellectual, brainiac, cranial, cramping kind of discussions. And he worked his way through Matt. Just for the record, that kid, Matt, who came in as a high school junior who was an agnostic, now is licensed to the gospel ministry, leading music at that church on a Sunday morning, taking people to the throne of grace and worship music. Because somewhere in the process, the Holy Spirit broke through the cloud and said, this is real and it's for you. Let me tell you something, that's the legacy of the church. Jesus Christ, before he left, said, be my witnesses. 
But you see, Luke knows something here. And he gets it right for us, and we need to get it right for here. And that is, a witness who only can tell about something he heard second or third hand is a poor witness. It's the eyewitness that brings credibility to the story. So Luke goes to the first generation. I told you last week, this is now coming to the end of the first century, probably anywhere between 65 and 85 A.D., Jesus crucified roughly 30, 32 thereabouts. Uh, and so now we're 30 years past that, which is a whole generation in that age. And now those first generation Christians and apostles and disciples are starting to die off. And so Luke sits down and he says, we need to get this down before the eyewitnesses are gone. And so that's the basis that he starts with here. We need, just like he needed, reliable, credible witnesses. This is one of the areas that I think we struggle in our churches, evangelical churches, because we want to sit people down and we want to say to them, here's the way to witness. I'm not opposed to that, okay? We need to equip people. I'm with that. But the problem is, if we say, follow this outline, here's your canned speech, then we send people out set up to fail. Let me give you a little insight for me. I don't do salespeople very well. Okay? Now, if you're a salesperson, I don't mean you. I'm talking about the phone kind. I got one of these Friday night. We were with some church members just kind of fellowship, and I got two phone calls from Tampa, Florida in like 10 minutes. And I thought, man, this might be an emergency. That's the way pastors, you know, you get the same number calls twice in a short period of time. Somebody's in jail or something. And it might be your son, so you better get on the phone. Well, I got my phone up here. I answered the phone, and it's a salesperson. We knew that you probably were a little concerned about your house and the security of your home. And I'm thinking, uh, you don't know me very well. I'm concerned about the person who tries to break through the door. And I immediately, when I hear the sales pitch, they didn't say, good morning, good night, kiss my foot. They didn't say anything like that. They just assumed that I was ready to hear what they had to say. So in Christian love, I hung up on them. (laughs) By the way, when we train people with a canned speech for Jesus, agnostics and atheists and postmodern people hang up on us before we ever get started. Don't miss what Luke does for us. He lays a pattern. He's just given us an introduction. Most of the time we read these first four verses so we can get to the real stuff. Actually, we want to get to the real stuff which starts in Luke 2 with the birth of Jesus. We just have to get through chapter 1. Let me tell you something. There's meat in this and Luke gives us an example. Go to the source. And so when you go to witness with somebody, I'll get to this in just a second. When you go to share Jesus Christ with somebody... Make sure that you're giving an eyewitness account. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't have a vibrant, back-and-forth, give-and-take kind of fellowship with Jesus Christ, why would you want to give that to somebody else anyway? It's just a philosophy. If it's not real in your life, can't believe a preacher said that in a Baptist church. 
Well, I'm going to run out of time again. Man. All right. So let's move on a little bit. Let's jump to the second part of this. Eyewitnesses bring credibility to the story. Here's the second one. Storytellers understand their role and they embrace it. This is in verse 2 also. Notice what he says. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Ministers of the word. Interesting phrase there. It really means caretakers. Or maybe another good translation is assistance of the word. Uh, we should make this distinction here. I would love to just go off right here, but I'm out of time, so I'll save you the, all of that. Um, in my ministry career, I hate to say it that way, but maybe it communicates. In my time as a pastor, elements of our heritage as Baptists have decided that we were not just ministers of the word, caretakers, but that somehow we were to be protectors of the word of God. That is a dangerous proposition. And one of the things that makes that dangerous plays itself out for us in Baptist life in that we start having people who become the Bible Gestapo for us. And if you don't believe it the way they say it's supposed to be believed, then you're violating Scripture. Let me tell you what that is. That's a bunch of baloney. Okay? Here's a, here's a, my, my dad said this years ago. I think it's worth repeating. If you're charged out on the prairies or whatever they call them of Africa... To take charge and to protect a lion. What's the best way to do that? <laughs> you turn him loose. Who in their right mind is going to go after a lion? Well, you know, the guy with the rifle that shoots from a long distance. Okay, I understand that. The best way to take care of God's word is to turn it loose in society. We don't have to protect this. I don't feel like I have to argue about the validity of God's word with people. All I have to do is live it in my life. This is back to the discussion last week about the doubts. You remember that? When you find yourself doubting, then plug it in and see if it works. If it doesn't work, then throw it away. But let me tell you something. You're going to find that it always works. I don't have to protect God's word. I just have to be a caretaker of it. Which means... That we need to be responsible with how we use God's word. You ever known people or churches who the main reason they had a Bible like this was so they could smack you upside the head with it when you stepped out of line? Sometimes Christian people using God's word without submitting to the spirit who authored it do more damage for the cause of Christ than they do good. Know God's word. Be a student of God's word. Be friends with God's word and live it out. Be that caretaker that causes other people to say, regardless of stuff I've heard out there, I cannot deny the reality of this person's life because I see it and it draws me to them. That's Christian evangelism in the best, best way. We're a bridge generation, you and I. We've been given a trust in God's word. We must be good students. Don't be a simpleton as you approach scripture. It's worth study. It's worth studying hard. 
But better than that is worth applying. Because it's when we apply it that the Holy Spirit takes it and he breathes life into it for us and those who come after us. Okay, now I'll just go ahead and get right on top of you fathers. If your children see God in your life as you live out the principles of God's word, they are drawn to him and to you. So many children walk away from the church because they had parents and dads who were committed to the church but didn't seem to know how to walk with the Lord of the church. So we're given this trust and we share it. That's our responsibility to pass it on to the generation that comes after us and we need to be good stewards of the trust that's been given to us. That means for you who are Sunday school teachers, don't even dream of getting in front of your class any Sunday morning unless you've studied God's word. Save them the trouble of having to sit through that. Study. Be a student of God's word. Be responsible in how you handle it and how you deliver it. But see, it goes to all of us. It's not just to them. Let me take another step here. I'm about to run out of time. It says then that they delivered them these words to us is what Luke says. I could give you some background on this, but bottom line is apparently Luke goes to, well, we know that he was a traveling companion of Paul. And we know that Paul had dealings with the early apostles, Peter and James and some of those, and probably Mark who wrote Mark's gospel, John Mark of that Uh, of the gospel stories, Um, all of those contemporaries, even though Luke comes a little bit later in the process. And the picture that we seem to get is that Luke sits down with them at various times, maybe around campfires, maybe on the road as they're traveling across the Roman Empire. But Luke listens to them, those eyewitnesses. And in the process of that, they deliver them to him and he turns to set it into writing for us. But here's one of the things we have to get. This story is never intended for private use only. We, we approach it that way sometimes. Like it's our personal little word from God and so we sit in our houses and we drink it in and we feel good about ourselves. We might even go to church and share a little bit of it. But here's the problem with that. Luke says these people took it and they broadcast it across the Roman Empire. Turned the world upside down. One of my favorite passages out of the book of Acts is when some of those pagan people say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And you can hear the fear in their voices. We must share this story. And in the spirit of Luke's gospel, where he says in verse 3, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. It doesn't mean chronological, necessarily, although Luke's gospel is probably more chronological than the other ones. But it's not strictly chronological. He means, I I took the whole story and I put it in such a way and I packaged it in such a way so that you could get it and so that you could do something with it. Maybe better said so that it could do something with you first. And so that's where he starts with us here. So let me give you just a few things to hang on to as we go, and then I'll be finished this morning. Storytellers, here's the storytelling 101 part of it that I get from just that phrase with Luke. First of all, storytellers must be thoroughly conversant with the story. You've got to know the story of Jesus Christ. 
I told you last week, one of the reasons I want to do this series for us through the book of Luke as we look at Jesus and his life. I want us, I want us to, to be assaulted with who he was. I mean that in the, excuse me, the most positive kind of way. I, I want us to be assaulted with the divinity of Jesus Christ as we see him in his, in his humanity. We also have to acknowledge he was more than just a man. But we need to fall in love with that again because in our day and age, we, we just kind of lose the, the romance of that. We have to be thoroughly conversant with the story. One of the things that we're going to find, we get thoroughly conversant with the story, he's going to challenge us with our organized religion, which he did regularly with the Pharisees. Here's the second one. If we're going to be orderly and we're going to handle Scripture well, we, good storytellers must get out there amongst them. Had a guy in our church in Edinburgh. He was a trucker. He started off driving trucks and worked his way to where he owned his own trucking company. He was about as ordinary a guy as I ever met. 40 plus, almost 50 years old, raging alcoholic. And somebody sat down with him one day and shared with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And his whole world changed. Just like that. He became probably the most aggressive, effective witness for Christ I'd ever known. He loved to go fishing. He took me and my brother with him one day before we even moved down there. We were just going to visit and uh, my parents set us up with them and with him to go fishing. We went out into the bay, not not to the gulf, but to the bay down there. And uh, on the way out, he said, you guys ready to catch some fish? I said, yeah, I never really had experience where I did, but yes, I'm ready. He said, we're going to get out there amongst them. And we're going to catch them. What a great picture. As God's people, the ones who have been given the trust of his story, we have to get out there amongst them. But you see, the world of our day, the church world of our day says, no, no, no. We're not supposed to be out there. This is for us. We love our little church. We feel safe in our little church. Wow. Church is more than that. The first century church, they would have laughed at us if that was our view of church. Because they were out there amongst them. So do we have to be. Thirdly, this one has its own three subpoints. Good storytellers must be effective in their storytelling. The key word here is effective already alluded to, we can't just, you know, get a nice little memorized thing and go out there and throw it up on somebody and walk away thinking we've done our job. That's not effective storytelling. Three things about effective. First, first of all, I need to say this. When I titled this whole series, Storytellers, uh, I decided I better go check the dictionary for what it meant. Actually, I was checking the dictionary to see how to spell it. Uh, I knew story and I knew tellers, but I didn't know if it was a hyphenated word or one word or how I was supposed to do it. So I went to the dictionary to check it out. And I noticed that the first three definitions out of four were negative connotations. Storytellers are ones who tell fables. Storytellers are ones who lie. And I thought, well, that's fitting for the church of our day. So I want to be careful that we're not that kind of storytellers and that we're the number four kind of storytellers, which is relaying information in the form of a story. Effective 
requires that we know our audience. The person that you go to share Jesus Christ with is a real person. They have a real context. They have stuff going on in their lives. You got to know them. I, I learned this in Awanas the last two years because I was the Bible story teacher for Awanas. And so every 20 minutes, they'd rotate kids in there. And these kids sit in front of me and they're ready to listen. No. They're your kids. You know better than that. And so what I found was I, I could talk to them on this high theological level and they would turn me off before I even got started. So that didn't seem to make sense. So what I found is I got down on the floor with them, especially I'm thinking about the little kids now, the kindergarten, first graders, that group, you know, and I just get down on the floor with them and talk to them and face to face and you just listen to what they're doing and you talk in terms that they can understand like puppies and mean daddies. No, I didn't ever do that. But you talk in terms that they can get it. If it makes sense there, why doesn't it make sense when we get out among the people of this world? We've got to be effective with our storytelling. We need to know the story, but we also need to know the people that we're dealing with. By the way, they're going to be, some of them are going to be ugly, some of them are going to be dirty, some of them are going to be mean, and some of them are going to be hateful, and some of them are not going to believe. And we still are called to take the story to them and to know them. Some of them are dangerous. And we want to shrink back where it's safe. But Jesus says, go. And so we do. Storytellers, secondly, require us to earn the right to be heard. Too many people do drone strike evangelism. You know what I mean by that? You know that the gospel got sent somehow. They just never know how they got hit with it. It's relational. It's about people. It's the story that says, let me tell you how Jesus Christ changed my life. How about you? Are you an effective storyteller for the cause of Christ? Or has it just kind of settled into, oh, it's just another element of my life? We live in a world full of skeptics. And they may or may not believe what we are selling, as they would say. Stories told years ago, my dad shared it with me the first time I ever heard it. heard it since in other places. But, you know, the story of the Mona Lisa, the painting, the Mona Lisa. The guy went to see it one day that he'd heard about it all of his life. So he goes to, to that museum in Paris, I think it is, and... He stands there and he looks at it a long time. Matter of fact, he'd been there studying it for so long. He'd go up close and he'd look and he'd scoot back and he'd look and, you know, he's looking like this. And he caught the guard's eye because he'd been there a long time. Finally got to be closing time. The guard went over to him and said, sir, you're going to have to move on. Uh, you know, it's time for us to close. And the guy said, you know, I've been standing here looking at this thing for a long time. And he said, I got to tell you. I've heard how great this painting is all of my life, this Mona Lisa and the smile and all. He said, I, I just don't think it's that such a big deal at all. I don't think it's that great a painting at all. And the guard very wisely said to him, Sir, when you pass judgment on something like that that history has proven to be great, that painting is not on trial. You are. And the message of that screams through the ages to us. This story that Luke is telling us that has been handed to us and we also have to share with others. We have to do something with that. 
It is the greatest story ever told. But if we just sit on it, we're saying it's not that great, really. It's great enough for me, but it's not really great enough for me to take a risk in sharing it with somebody else. How is it with you? Who is it in your circle who desperately needs the good news of Jesus Christ? And what are you doing about it? Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask that you would take this time, complete the message in our hearts, and drive us out of our safety nets into the rough and dangerous sea. In Jesus' name.